Hi, this is Frank Menser. Whether you play Moldvay or My Edition or any other basic D&D, tune in next for Save or Die, Basic D&D. You burst through the door, you find a small room filled with golden jewels. And a red dragon, he starts to breathe. Save or die! The Save or Die Podcast, a podcast about classic Dungeons and Dragons. Bring on your goblin holes and band of oaks, hulking zombies and bulls, and oh no, 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 troll, don't slow me down, oh no. Don't be a vicious, a vicious, awesome man. My favorite thing about Ben Mike is he can be bribed as a DM. I like that in a DM. (laughs) Bribery always helps. Yeah, and with with Kenzie and Andre, you gotta be a sexy girl. Otherwise, it doesn't work. Okay. <laughs> I don't know. <gasps> a second here. <laughs> okay. That just made me picture you, Glenn, in like fishnets and a miniskirt. I'm not sure you can pull that off. Ah, We're not going there. We are not going there. <laughs> I gotta go poke my mind's eye out now. <laughs> Hola, everybody! It's episode 89, Saber Day Die podcast. <laughs> As usual. <laughs> Yeah, I've been nipping some of Glenn's whiskey or something. The second sentence. (laughs) Smooth. Tongue-tied here, it's DM Mike, as usual, with DM Liz. Hello. DM Jim. Podcaster level one, reporting for duty. DM Whiskey, I mean Glenn. Burp. And with a special guest... Janelle Jackways. Hi. Can we call her DM Janelle? <laughs> oh, sure. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> she sounds very enthusiastic about this. <laughs> Good suggestion, Glenn. She's more than her in the stripes. <laughs> Fact that she's been DMing probably longer than any of us. I wouldn't. Um, I wouldn't hold to that. I've just been in the industry that long. Uh, ah, okay. And as you can probably guess, this episode's going to be talking with Janelle about her career and various activities, both old school and current. But before we get to that, the long-standing tradition, we will talk about what we've done in gaming since the last episode. Glenn. <laughs> I love listening to you intro, intro that all the time. Yeah. It's like... I feel- I feel like you're gr- you're you're grinding your teeth. And another segment that we have. <laughs> no, anyway. it's just my way of uh, gotching students. It's the ah, whole point oh. of having your own podcast is you can tell character stories and and people have to listen. They have to. Do you really believe that, Jim? <laughs> <laughs> That's what fast forwards for. That's true. Well, let's see. Uh, last couple of weeks, I've been trying to get this show on the on. On the feed is gut check time next week. We open Thursday, and uh, after that, it's uh, not working on my North Texas RPG Con game. Not working? I'm canceling it. Aw. I had just told Mike earlier today that I saw you on the game grid there. I did, but between the show and the move, I'm totally fried. I can't. 
Uh, sorry, bad mic. Um, let's see what else. Oh, I've got. So I got. Can. Yeah, I know. Maybe next year. Um, we got. We all got whisper and venom stuff. Thank you, Zach. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's a, it's out on hard in hardback now. And uh, let's see. I had a game today, Labyrinth Lord. Oh boy, this is basically fixing up the screw up from the last game, where I had a chance to kill a demon and botched it. Hmm. And That's I woke. Bad. I woke up. Well, yeah, but it was like it was all a dream, or you think it was. And I woke up, and my right hand was black. And so we're going to go fix that. Mm. It also featured the longest orc and goblin fight I had ever been in. <laughs> was it long because everyone kept These guys could their hit. rolls or what? Oh, no. We kept f- our dwarf five times. I roll a one. I roll a five. I roll a, oh, my God. One guy, one guy, one um Matt's using like crit and fumble charts and these funky charts. And one t- one goblin hit me so hard, he knocked me down for four ra- four turns. I have a theory about this, Glenn, because this happened up at Gary Con where the entire table, all of us, are just tank roll after tank roll for two solid hours until one of the party members turned into the monster. And as soon as it became party on party action, all our dice lit up. Really? Huh. Oh, man. I should, I one should, of those I melees where you expect to hear in the background... <laughs> so, so I guess I guess my advice is just you know start slaughtering one of your party members and your dice will turn on. Yeah. I'll just I'll just turn on black. Oh, and I also picked up a PDF which I printed out of Mutant Future and a for Mutant Future the Thundar the Barbarian supplement. Oh, I've got okay. Under a Broken Moon, but I don't have Mutant Future. Oh well, you have to talk after the show. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's uh, I'm kind of getting fond of that since it has Labyrinth Lord rules, mm. and um, unfortunately, I gave a copy to Matt, which means we're going to see some weird stuff in the next few sessions. Well, you have no one to blame but yourself. I'm uh, I swear to God, I'm the ma- I'm the masochist of the group. It's always like, hey, this is neat. You want it? Sure. Tome of Horror? Sure. Here, go ahead. Oh my God, what did I do? <laughs> you are an enabler. I guess I am. Anyway, that's run into three death machines, and the whole everybody at the table glares at Glenn. Yes, Glenn. If you ever played one of my post-apocalyptic games, I heard you complain a couple weeks ago about how you never got anything in Game World. I'm going to take a play out of Jim Ward's playbook. You can have any ten artifacts you want in my game because I can handle that. Well, it just seemed that those post, like I said, the post-apocalyptic thing to me, it didn't match the movies. Well, they're running around with all sorts of used technology. So I'm not going to bring that one up again. Anyway, that's <laughs> me. That's me. Yeah. <laughs> By the way, Jim Ward's a fibber because he says you can have any 10 things. Uh-huh. And if you all remember, I asked for a death machine and he wouldn't give me that. Mm. I'm, I'm sure he'll give you one next time. Oh, I've <laughs> also, also found out, in the, I, I don't know if I said it here in the other show, the D6 Star Wars game, my character died when I wasn't there. And so since he was a quixotic Jedi, a crazy guy who thinks he's a Jedi, I was asking Eric, the DM, to bring him back as a really annoying force ghost a la, a la Obi-Wan to annoy whoever's force sensitive around the ship. I think you should use the force to guide the ship. Shut the hell up. <laughs> God. Well, How about you, Jim? Oh. Uh, well, I, I want to do a shout-out to my players, the um, mutant murder hobos, because 
right now as we're recording. It's our normal game session, and they very graciously allowed me to cancel the game so that I could be on here with Janelle, and I appreciate it. It's okay. Stuff like that happens. But uh, I just came back from GaryCon, and uh, I would take up the rest of the show talking about that, so I'll just keep it down to uh, I ran into John Peterson at the con um, and told him that uh, we'd been still getting a lot of emails saying that not only should he be back on, but we should make him a host. And when I told John that, he he surprised me by considering it. He's like, you know, I think maybe I could do that. And I was just sitting in my head going, oh, crap. <laughs> there goes my spot. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> Last time yeah, first fired. I'll someone. be out of here. He's like, we're going to have to cut someone. Liz, I'm afraid it's going to have to be you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, You're the dear. most popular person on the show, I'll bet. So I'm uh, like, I, think, I think Jim beats me out for sure. Well, I could uh, always leave. Everybody tunes in to listen to the little girl game. Draw the short straw or something. Yeah, anyway, so. John would love to be back on the show, so that's good. Oh, we'd love to have him back on the show. The, uh, Maybe we can have him on the Gazetteer show. Yeah. But I really got my Grognard game card punched because I got to play uh, my first ever game of Chainmail on a sand table in Gary Gygax's basement in the old house on Center Street. The, uh, oh. the current owners uh, graciously allowed four solid days of gamers trooping through their house so they were playing D&D in the dining room and chainmail downstairs and Mike you would have been so proud of me because Michael Curtis kind of had to talk me into the whole thing he's like come on man do this with me I don't want to get trapped with a bunch of grognards who bleed hex chits and <laughs> you know plastic airfix Robin Hood figures <laughs> so I, I kind of that. and I've never played mass combat or any of that kind of stuff I'm an RPGer but I had a blast it was some historical Good. battle between Teutonic Knights and the Russians in 1432 and in the real life history the Russians won and I got on the side of the Teutonic Knights and we creamed them Ooh. Good. And then oh. afterwards I told him why the Russians won historically because they ran from the Teutonic Knights across a frozen lake and the big heavy Teutonic Knights chased them and the ice broke. Well that's that's we got to set up first and because they started us on the ice we decided to spread everybody out so then instead of bunching up like they did in history they spread everybody out and we just had superior forces. Although Good yeah idea. Mike and I were so tired by this point in the con, we had a pre-plan that whatever forces they gave each of us, we were just going to charge them headlong at each other and kill them so we could go home and get some sleep at the hotel. And uh, <laughs> so I had a unit of Dane heavies, and he had a bunch of Russian peasants, and those were the only two units still up slugging it out when they called the game, when the <laughs> Russians surrendered. So that backfired. Wow. And um, if you've ever heard the wow. story, at the very first Gary Con at Frank Mincer's table, Gary Con won. Somebody rolled a D twenty and it shattered. And it happened. I was an eyewitness. I took pictures of this chainmail game. Guy rolls a D six into the little wooden box, and pow! It just flew apart at the seams. And everybody's like, "Ooh, that's spooky." And I'm like, "Gary's just telling us we're playing it right. He's here." <laughs> yeah, I've never seen any dice break in regular use i mean i've seen a lot of people intentionally shattering their dice but we are just from rolling it i've never in 40 years of gaming seen that happen and bang yeah right in front of me well i saw the picture and i i kind of assumed that somebody dropped it on the floor (sighs) no uh mike monard was running it and he had like this little wooden shoebox we were rolling the d6s into so it could be out on the sand table and it was just a Mm -hmm. regular, regular roll and we hear this weird sound and we all look in the box and there it was Wow. Hmm. Well, wow. That's something. So, great Gary. Like I told him, he ought to make a reliquary and put the dice in it, shards in it or something. (laughs) I thought about using some of my class skills and stealing it, but uh, I didn't. 
right next to right next to Aragorn's shattered sword. Okay, Liz. Well, um, although as, I call it on you, but it's usually you and me, really. Since. Yeah, um, Mike and I did our weekly second edition game earlier today. Um, not just tons going on in this particular session, although we had a new player join us, and even though this is the first day that we've gamed with him, um, he seems like a Nice guy, and I think he'll be a good fit with the group, um, assuming that he doesn't get completely different the next Saturday that we're all together. Um, and he's a college football scholarship. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Um, but yeah, he was a good player. He rolled up a bard, and um, mm. primarily because we needed someone with thief skills. <laughs> and um, so, yeah, he joined up with us in the game session today. We primarily have been going into the dungeon levels of this old ruined moat house and killing off various undead creatures that we've been finding in there. Near uh, the village of Not Homlet. Yes, it is not <laughs> Homlet. Swear to God, it is not Homlet. Um, <laughs> I don't know. Sounds pretty Homlet. Yeah, that's, that's what we're thinking, too. But I had one of those at Denny's. It's not. <laughs> so, um, yeah, that that was pretty much our game session. Um, no, no, if problems, there was... no problems with Mike uh, getting... I, I actually don't think I have a have a proficiency gripe this time around, although I did tell Chase he needs to write the show to refute all my, my snarky proficiency griping. Yeah, he says he's thinking about it. Yeah. <laughs> so... We could make that That's a whole new section of the show, have our G- personal GMs come on to retort. <laughs> yeah. That's what I told him. It's like, like, you know, editorial time. Create a new bumper for, like, you know, GM soapbox or something. Yeah, or, you know, uh, yeah, or point counterpoint, DM style. <laughs> Mike, you ignorant slut. <laughs> <laughs> Basically. All righty. Anything else, Liz? Uh, that's pretty much all I've all I've got. Unless there's something about the session that totally went over my head and I forgot about. I distinctly remember saying something to you to remind me for the show, but I can't remember what it is. And I'll yeah, listen. You I, can't I don't remember either. either. No. So I'm gonna have to save it for the next show. Any anything to do with the paladin with the spider climb mount? <laughs> he hasn't got it yet. Where he's working on it. Um, he needs to get his barding together and then the shoe hor- the horseshoes. But right now, part of what he needs to make the barding is he needs a mithril arrow that was used to slay a magical beast. So my character, um, she's an archer. So he's bought her these mithril arrows. He keeps telling her, look, look, there's a Ryvern. Shoot it, shoot it. <laughs> but every time she shoots, it, it has to be the last shot to kill the creature. And every time somebody else comes in and takes the kill, oh. was was your so, elf able to keep her clothes on this the session? Yes, yes. Nobody ambushed her while she was asleep in bed. Ten guys in chainmail and shield beating down the tavern door, running up the stairs, running down the hall, kicking in her door, running in and stabbing her. And she sleeps through it all. And she sleeps <laughs> through everything except the stab. <laughs> See, that's how you do it, Glenn. That's how you get him going. Ah, And and talk about five-deck ships. Uh, Well, that's not really a proficiency. That's more of – it was just the attribute check, which I normally like. But really, whether you wake up, whether 10 guys in chainmail are stomping down the hallway. Anyway. 
Okay. That was fun. Janelle? Well, I don't do a lot of gaming. Um, What I've been working on recently is my company is um, called Old School. Uh And we recently shipped our first title, which is Battle Chess Game of Kings. Uh, It's a recreation of the original Battle Chess game from Interplay back from the late 80s, I believe it was. I remember it. Oh, cool. That was the one where the... Like the rook would turn into the stone golem and stomp yep. up and yep yeah, yeah well, I remember that I never we've, liked I'm sorry go ahead I say we, we we've um it's been updated for uh, modern computers modern graphic systems and uh-huh. available on the Steam network oh wow that's so cool. do you have pretty much the same animation that the original game had or is it Probably all better. updated with new stuff it's all updated with new Ooh, because it's it's true 3d it's true 3d now uh-huh uh, okay okay i don't like chess and even i thought that was fun and i should say for right now it is currently available for windows pcs oh okay. i definitely need to get that then because i'm a complete luddite when it comes to game systems we don't have an Xbox or a PlayStation or anything like that. You know, any She's still game. on Civ 2. I'm still on Civ 2. Hey, <laughs> Civ 2 was a good version. I like Civ 2. So, yeah, anything that I play, I play on my PC only. I don't have any kind of game system. Mm-hmm. So, so that's, this, is, uh, this is why I have Windows 7 installed on my MacBook Pro. <laughs> <laughs> good idea. So this is so this is uh, battle chess, game of kings. Battle chess, game of kings. Game of kings by old. How do you spell that? Is that well? It's actually um, released through Interplay. Interplay is still actually the publisher. Okay. Um, but we're old school, which is um, O L D E, S K U U L. That's how, and we pronounce that old school. Cool. Okay. Mike, Mike, you gonna we gonna get a link to that on our on our page? Yeah, yeah okay. we'll put a on the show notes or on the show announcement anyway. Yes. Okay, cool. So you get a million more hits thanks to us. That would be lovely. <laughs> <laughs> All right then. Well, then let's move on to emails. Get down, get down, get down, get down. The save or die. Hot Tub Time Machine. Come here, you scrumptious little beauty. Here I go once again with the email. Every week, I hope that it's from a female. Oh, man. Do we have any emails, Liz? We do have some emails. Um, Speaking of which, another email show is coming up very soon. We got well, a lot of emails. I know. You only sent three. That's Shirley. We're not to the bottom of the bag. No, don't we're call, not. Don't, don't um, call her Shirley. <laughs> no, we're not. I just didn't want us to get bogged down with a whole bunch of emails with this episode. So I kept it light. But um, More time to anyway, talk to Janelle. That's right. We have exactly. to have our priorities. So fear not. We're still getting through our emails. <laughs> <laughs> um, our first email for today is from Sonny Calzone. Hey, and he says, he says, well met kindred spirits. 
Here at our FLGS, we always find fun ways to keep the D&D games interesting. Recently, it was revealed to the players that King Asiago loves to eat red bananas. In fact, there have even been attempts made by some to feed poisoned red bananas to the king. Luckily for the king, his royal food tasters ate the red bananas first and died. Not so lucky for the food tasters, I suppose. Anyway, I was wondering... (laughs) <laughs> I was wondering what you thought were some good ideas for fun quirks or unusual tastes that a king of a fantasy realm might have. Kindly let me know. Thank you for your time. Long live Sod. Karate Chops. DM Sunny. Thank you, Sonny. Thanks. Uh, he talks to kangaroos. How's that one? <laughs> no, no. Red, red banana is not like hipster slang for anything I don't know about, is it? Um, well, if it is, I don't know either. I don't know either. Okay. Yeah. I'm, too, I'm too old to know. So. <laughs> well, this is funny. We're going to be talking about a lot of Judges Guild products that Janelle was involved in, and the idea of a king who's addicted to red bananas is pretty Judges Guild. Mm. Yeah. Well, don't forget, it's not D&D, but Tunnels and Trolls, but don't forget the infamous rat on a stick. I oh, that. yeah. <laughs> you know, that's, a pretty, that's a dang good dungeon, you know, if you ignore the rat on the stick part. Mm-hmm. But... Those are great. Liz made them for a few years ago, and those were those were delish. I actually used to have the recipe. I pulled it off offline. I think. Um, uh-huh. Yeah, we we I got the recipe. It. Yeah, we got the recipe, and I may still have it on my computer somewhere. Um, about the only thing that I did to change it was um, first I tried it as as it was. And it seemed like it needed a little more flavor. So the next time... <laughs> First I, I tried it with real rats. And I did it with real rats. <laughs> well, no, the original recipe at, calls for ground beef, and you form it around the cheese. Ah. And um, the next time I did it, I did a combination of ground beef and ground breakfast sausage. And that made it really flavorful, and ah. I like that version better. But you can do it both ways, and it'll so be good either way. So you some without so much rat in it. Yes, with, with, the, with some, some special, you know, ground rat with herbs added. So you're going to be bringing any of this to North Texas? Um, well, they don't hold up together well for traveling because the cheese ah. wants to ooze out. Not like so, Scottish eggs. Not but... like Scottish eggs, but… Oh, God, Scottish eggs. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to know. They're good. They're medieval McMuffin. (laughs) With the sausage over the hard-boiled egg, and then you put breadcrumbs over the sausage, and you you deep-fry it all, and it's super good. With the side (laughs) Mm -hmm. of haggis? Not good for you, but good. (laughs) (laughs) All right, well, uh, ideas. I once played in a game where a king had a taste for frogs' legs, and there was a nearby bullywug tribe getting attacked. Yeah, (laughs) king frogs' legs. Yeah. Um. All the good ideas I can think of at the moment are rather unsavory, so let's don't do those. (laughs) Promise. (laughs) I won't if you won't. Um, oh, yes, yeah, yeah. you know, if if you can make it really rare stuff, it always is a good rationale for having uh, PCs sent off on quests. True. I, I hate these kind of emails where they say, "What do you think should be?" And yeah, it's like nothing. Yeah. Well, it just and my my mind goes blank immediately. <laughs> well, I think something that could be interesting is a king or a baron or whoever the local lord of the area is 
who insists that anyone who comes before him in in court has to wear, say, a certain kind of hat or something before he'll allow them to come up before him. That's good. Just something really ridiculous that most of your players are going to go, I don't want to put that on. (laughs) Like at Fort Doom, perhaps? Yeah, perhaps. (laughs) (laughs) At Fort Doom? (laughs) Well. Went went right out of my head. Oh, okay. (laughs) Had it, went right out of my head. Thanks, Sonny. Yeah, sorry, we're not more help. <laughs> yeah, it seems like every time I want something like that, I find a table somewhere I can roll on. Yeah, I'm a I'm a big fan of tables, very what? big fan. Yeah, you should figure that. It kind of comes from my background. Yeah. But um, yeah, the table thing is a great idea. Um, go down, jam out a bunch of ideas, and then roll dice and put a couple of them together. <laughs> oh yeah, oh yeah, Janelle. If you ever write anything new and you want Liz to give a good review of it, put a rumor table in there. She loves rumor tables. I a, do love rumor. A tables. rumor of food. <laughs> <laughs> I was one of the things I was surprised looking back through Caverns of Thracia that it actually does have a rumor table in it. Yes, it does. <laughs> a good one too. Indeed. Okay. Well, next email. Okay, our next one is from. Lon Jr. and um, the email address that was given, um, it was all run together. So it, I'm I'm going to assume that Lon is the first name, and Jr. is either for junior or for a middle and last initial. But anyway, Lon writes, just finished episode 84. Uh-huh. Love your show. Have for a long time. In writing about the <clears throat> new box set Wizards of the Coast recently came out with. This is a bit of a vent, so if you don't read this, I understand. <laughs> read it. Read it. <laughs> yeah. I purchased it from Amazon back in June, a pre-order. It was supposed to come out near the end of November, then it was pushed back to December. I received several emails saying that the Amazon staff couldn't get it yet. Then late December rolls in, and Amazon says they're out of stock. They never had it in the first place. <laughs> Finally, a week ago, January 27th, yes, the email is that old, (laughs) it finally arrived. And it is very pretty. Love everything they have in it. It has made me want to try and run an old school game. I'm currently running a few 2E games, but this one has gotten me thinking about the original game. And, of course, the thought comes up. Why not run something that starts with OD&D that moves forward through the books to first edition and even second edition? Or keep going into post-2E rules? Just a thought. We'll keep you updated on that if it ever goes anywhere. Finally, a question for you. What is your opinion of the three, I think there are three, manuals that came out in the 90s about the fae, were creatures, and the sea folk? There's four. <laughs> Wasn't yeah. there someone else who was doing Creaser, doing Creaser. the um, adventures going through the various um, the, versions? The Cincinnati yes. Retro D&D League. Yes, mm-hmm. I was going to say. Uh, like- about two years ago, DM Todd ran a group through not just every edition, but all the different, uh, as, as they got that far, like Ravenloft, some of the settings. Mm-hmm. Kind of like a progressive dinner. And, uh, I mean, it wasn't a bunch of old grognards. There were some guys like our age, but it was also a bunch of, like, 14- and 15-year-old, you know, junior high school students and high school students, and they had a blast. Wow. Cool. 
<clears throat> if you've never looked at, I mean, if you've never run the three little brown books, um, you know, get some help online when you get stuck because they're tough. If you're coming in out of two oh, E, yeah. they're a little tough to wrap your brain around. Tim Cask, assure me that those rules made perfect sense in 1974 to miniatures gamers, but I, well, I struggle he, he, with them. He made sense in 1974. <laughs> Easy now. <laughs> settle down. Settle down. He's my bro. I can bang on him. <laughs> so I Lon, don't want to go there. Thank you. Or Lon JR. Um, Thank you, Lon If you decide to do that, go ahead and write us in. Let us know how it goes. Yeah, okay. please do. Um, as far as the creature crucibles, um, we, we will get to them eventually. Got to get through Gazetteers first. Yeah. All 14, which we have been corrected on by saying 13 in a box set from... You- Last episode. And you said three. There are four creature crucibles, including the best one, Top Ballista. Hey. I love Top Ballista. <laughs> yeah, right. no, I know. I edited a num- several of those, um, those Gavetteers and Crucibles. Really? Oh. Yeah, I'm. Oh, yeah. Um, I can hardly wait. <laughs> I think I'm the editor on the, El- um, the Elven one. Oh, ah. El- okay. Alpine? Alpine? Yes. Okay. And I definitely edited Top Ballista. Oh, yeah, good. I mean, I'm going to get gnomes in, D- in basic D&D one way or another. Well, that's nice, Glenn. <laughs> now go play in your rubber room. Okay. <laughs> but thank you, thank well, you Lawn I- Chair. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> lawn Chair. Lawn Chair? <laughs> lawn Junior. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, and our final email is from Kevin Log. And Kevin writes, Hi, guys and Liz. I am just listening to the show about traps. I know that you don't talk about the edition that has no name. Oh, we talk about it. (laughs) (laughs) It's not very nice. I have a wizard's tower that every other level has some kind of trap. I am sure that you could do that in any game. I like using Grimtooth's Book of Traps. Oh, Kevin no. Long. Yeah, Grimtooth did some good books. stuff. Yep. I love and those our books. Fr- and our friend Julie contributed to one of those. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I'd hope to have her on that Traps episode, but scheduling just didn't work. Yeah. Was it Grimtooth or somebody else that used to have the little page of cartoon traps in Dragon Magazine every issue? Oh, definitely not Grimtooth, because that was Flying Buffalo. Yeah. I don't remember those. So what was FBI's magazine? I forget. Sorcerer's Apprentice. Sorcerer's yes. Apprentice. Yeah, maybe it was in there. But yeah, no, traps are, especially like a wizard's tower or a good tomb, traps are great. Well, how yeah. about this? Some of those... could, could we all agree that any trap is a good trap as long as it doesn't just depend on dice rolls, as long as there's some element of it that you can role play? Mm, and think, yeah. yes. think it out, yes. Mm-hmm. That's what I yes. like. If they come up with an actual plausible way of fixing it, yeah. Yeah. My favorite traps I'd seen was in uh, Dungeon Magazine. There was a module where a wizard who I think died or something like that, before he died, he set up traps in his tower to keep people from getting his goodies. And he basically took magic items he had gotten over the years and used them against the party. Well, that's reasonable. That was kind of, I mean, I'm sorry. Clever. <laughs> yeah. So that kind of reminds me, there was a similar, um, there was a similar adventure in one of the Dragon magazines. Um, Mike, you remember 
I keep blanking on the name of the adventure, but it was the Wizard's Tower, and one of the things that could trap you was a crystal ball. Uh-huh. And when you picked it up, it would light up. And, oh, twofold talisman. Yes, the twofold talisman. And um, you had to save versus um, like hypnotism, save versus spell. Otherwise, you'd be hypnotized by the images that appeared inside the crystal ball. And you're reading the description, and it's episodes of I Love Lucy that are playing inside the crystal ball. Lucille ball yes and oh. you're you're just sort of standing there mesmerized and it takes another party member to try to snap you out of it oh. <laughs> God. Or, but you'll be back next week yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly but then of course that was the same adventure that had the preppy monks at the beginning that was a goofy little adventure that's probably yeah. why I liked it, it so much it was all set up by the wizard Netflix <laughs> It sounds like it belonged in Castle Greyhawk. (laughs) (laughs) A little bit. Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, thanks for the writing in. And even though we keep griping about emails, keep sending them in. (laughs) We we keep doing email shows as needed to catch up. And we're into February now, so <laughs> yes, we finally and made it. Slowly into catching emails. up. <laughs> and and you send it, send them to Thaco's Hammer. <laughs> <laughs> Where did they send it, Glenn? Where they send it to saverdiepodcast at gmail dot com. But don't think they're going to forward yours. So just send it direct. <laughs> so, and if you want to send in a voicemail, call in at nine four zero five three six thirty seven sixty three. And we shall then go into our grilling, I mean questions, to Janelle. Oh, dear. <laughs> <laughs> but first, we'll have some very important messages from people who probably aren't our sponsors. KTEL presents D&D Blockbusters. All original hits, all original artists, including XP and the Cobalt Band. Warlocks, Average PC Band, Edgar Winter is Coming Group, EPO, Scrawl Notes, Character Stories, and many more, featuring the Boulet Brothers, D&D Blockbusters, 20 original hits, 20 original stars. Available on LP or 8-track tape. Order yours today. Game on. Game on. This time, the game is talking to Janelle Jackways. Hi, Janelle. So, I guess hi again. (laughs) (laughs) For those of you joining us after the commercial break, (laughs) uh, uh, (laughs) recap the first part of the episode. Yeah. Previously on Save or Die. We talked about a lot of stuff. There we go. Some stuff. Yeah. In episode number 58. <laughs> <laughs> well, Janelle, you've had quite the career, especially in the formative days of our hobby. Yeah. And we decided we would concentrate 
a lot of questions on your major uh, products, at least according to Wikipedia. Mm-hmm. Um, but <laughs> please feel free to jump in with any stories or things no, you'd like no, to mention. No, 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 no. Wait a minute, Mike. You believe what's on Wikipedia? I wouldn't. Yeah, I've read no, that. No, I've read that page. <laughs> I just took that for the main products. That's oh, why I'm saying. Yeah. Okay. If there's something else you want to mention, because I'm sure they were wrong. Okay. I'm just grilling you a little, that's all. Yeah. <laughs> so let's start with the Dungeoneer. Oh, dear. you started that while you were in college, right? I did. I did. Um, it, I actually started it within about six months of actually starting to play D&D. So wow. that would have been... Um, here, I'm going to list how ancient I am. Um I first discovered D&D in the fall of uh, 1975. Um, actually, I played my first game in early 76. And my, I was interested in, in games at first because it looked like a way that I could get my artwork pu- published. Mm-hmm. And so I had immediately started submitting artwork to, um, at the time, the publisher was um, Metagaming. Metagaming Concepts. They're also similar. Um, Oh, Howard Thompson. Howard Thompson's company. And so I'd submitted just sketches to him, and I got paid for them. And taking the credit that I got from the payment, which was double the the very small amount I would have gotten in cash, um, I put that towards buying game product from them because they were also selling game product through through their store. Ah, priorities, yes. And that allowed me to get things like the first edition of Dungeons & Dragons. And we started playing in early 76. And, you know, there was always an interest in my part of getting into publishing. So I got together with my friends in college, and we put together a, I think it was like an eight-page little half-size fan magazine. Wrote all the content, did all the art. Um... And then we went around buying game magazines that we could find on store shelves. And we lived in Michigan. And we snagged out addresses that we found of people (laughs) and made up a a mailing list of people we just sent free copies to. (laughs) And we actually got a few subscribers that way. And Mm. then word of mouth got out. The things that were surprised me were the responses we got from some, they must have been um, miniatures gamers or historical gamers who basically chewed us out for contacting, you know, sending this Dungeons and Dragons. (laughs) How dare you send us free stuff? How (laughs) dare we? How so very dare you? Oh, Janelle, see, I'm I'm class of 79, so I'm just a little bit behind you, but I remember when it was like that. It was one versus the other. Yeah. We we did the first set magazine, um, got it printed. It was like a print run of like 200 copies. So we literally sent out half the copies this way. Mm. Um, approached some hot local hobby stores and sold a few more that way. Nice. And then um, kind of got a word of mouth till we were printing about 800 copies an issue. Ooh. And reprinting the earlier earlier magazines. That's pretty good. So if you if you if you have a Dungeoneer number one with a light tan cover. You have a first edi- first edition, first printing. Ooh. Best I do not, I, unfortunately. 
best I could manage was the uh, the best of first six that they did. Yeah, that was um, that's why that's why most people I think have experienced the Dungeoneer. Um, that was the first six issues that um, my my game group produced. Hmm. Um, I eventually sold that map. When I grad just before I graduated from college, it got to a point where I had a choice. I could stick with my job with a radio college radio station and publish um, the Dungeoneer, or I could graduate. Ah, yeah. <laughs> Funny enough, graduation won. And I focused, and I sold the Dungeoneer, I quit the radio station, and I focused on finishing my art degree. <laughs> See, I'm, well, in, I'm, I'm in total awe of you, Janelle, not just for being both a writer and an artist, but for making that very adult decision. Because when I discovered D&D in college, I promptly stopped going to class and just flunked straight out. Yeah, okay. <laughs> um, I got nothing for you. <laughs> well, let, let but, me t- I'm sorry, go ahead. Oh, I can say, but, you know, I, I think I also gave up dating at the same time. So there was a lot of things I gave up at that point. <laughs> Well, I tell you that my respect has gone up since I found out you were working in radio at college. I worked for the college radio station. I had nice. a so broadcast engineer's license, third class. Oh, you got one? I actually had one. It, oh, I, wow. It I never kills got me that I – well, you had to in those days. I remember that, yes. And to be on the air, you had to, you had to be licensed. And you had your third class license. I remember yep. that. And uh, – it kills me that I was after college. I was working at a small local station, um, to trying to do fill-in work. It's when I realized I was not cut out for that work. But I left my license on the wall of the station I had been filling in at, uh-huh. and I, I regret that because I really would have loved to have that um, that little memento. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Hey, I got a question. Did uh-huh. you fr- did you fr- did you frame the first dollar you uh, got for? Oh God, no. Doing this. <laughs> <laughs> I think I had to spend it on rent. <laughs> Either that or well, that's a thought. Or actually more likely it was on the if you remember the generic um food products they sold back in the seventies. Oh yes. In the white boxes. Mm-hmm. Yes. It was probably on mac and cheese. Ah, that would okay. have bought about five boxes back then. That's true. <laughs> that's well, true. Be- before we get into like drilling you on minute minutia questions about uh-huh. something you wrote 30 years ago like you were on Star Trek. You remember that one episode? I want to ask you a <laughs> general question because I'm really interested in, in just how different creative types and their their brains work. I, you're one of those people who both writes and draws. Do you consider one of those your primary skill set and your secondary? Do you consider them equal? Um, generally at this point um, I actually focus on um, just on um, the art primarily now. Um, I actually got into the business as an artist. That was my intent. I found that I was fairly good at uh, writing the game adventures, the content. Mm-hmm. So I also found that I had this kind of, uh, maybe it's not a personality disorder, but <laughs> it's, I never enjoyed doing the same thing for an extended period of time. So switching between writing and art is how I actually made it, stayed in the industry as long as I did, oh, kept it fresh. If you were in the same yep. room as me, I would be fist bumping you right now, soul sibling. I'm right there <laughs> with you. 
But well, art definitely makes more money than than writing. That's for sure. That is actually oh. something I eventually found out too. <laughs> yeah, um, you know, in, in the later part of my career. Well, what you're talking about is why my resume looks like I'm a pathological liar. So I totally get <laughs> what you're saying. As the only non-artist here, I can say that. Yeah. Writing makes less money. <laughs> Writing is. Put it this way: my daughter. Um, went to school to become a, a novelist. And we always told her that, okay, that's fine. Make sure you've got a day job. Yeah. yeah. It's like, well, okay, so what do you do to eat? <laughs> even famous, successful authors, other than, let's say, J.K. Rowling, have day jobs. Mm-hmm. Sounds just like my dad. <laughs> well, I'm a mom. This, act, this, act, this acting thing, what else are you going to do to keep? Keep going. As far as the content in the magazine, I remember reading, I can't remember somewhere, but uh, where I read it, but that um, the, dra- the Dungeoneer first had a published adventure in it the same time that Palace of the Vampire Queen came out, the very first adventure. We were, um, yeah. Were you looking for filler or did you really think, you know, because the guys at TSR all thought nobody's going to pay for an adventure or anything because, you know. Everybody just makes their own stuff up. Did was that a, a thought in y'all's mind? If you can remember, I mean, it is. Oh yeah, years ago. no, no. This is actually something I specifically remember. Was that one of the things from like looking at like the apazines, the alarms and excursions? You know, everybody was creating magic items or potions or um, things like along those lines, but no one was really. No one was doing adventures. There was that part. There was the stuff that the Black um, Blackmore that was uh-huh. in the original one of the, the expansion booklets for the original rule set. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Temple of the Frog. Yeah, yeah, Temple of the Frog. But it really wasn't worked out that well. I mean, you looking at that, I don't think anyone really could have played it from that. Not in the form we understand now, certainly. Yeah. yeah. Um, so. There was this thought in this mind, so why not why not take ideas, draw out the maps, fill them up, and share it with other people to play? Because obviously not everyone you know, it's in the game is intended to inspire imagination, but not everyone is at the same level. True. And sometimes you don't have time. <laughs> and sometimes you don't have time. Okay. Um when it came time for you to sell Dungeoneer, was that a, you know, a choice you decided I've got to sell this and go solicit, or were people making offers? By that point, I had someone interested. Um, it was friend of a friend from. It was a Chuck Chuck Anshell was a friend of someone I knew. I had met through like uh, going to Gen Con. Mm-hmm. He had a small company in the. Um, the Chicago area, and he was interested in doing his own magazine. So we arranged basically for him to purchase the magazine from me, essentially for the cost of what I had, you know, what what subscribers had sent me to pay for future subscriptions. So he he basically for the, the took the cost of the magazine at the cost of. Fulfilling the remaining subscriptions. Fulfilling the remaining subscriptions. Okay. 
did he keep the same staff or did was there oh, a changeover? No, he, it was complete changeover. Uh-huh. Um this this when you say the staff, you have to remember this was not the time period of um being able to easily do things in separate spaces. Mm, yeah. Um there was not this connectivity that we have right now. So my staff um Both <laughs> at of them. the time well it 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 included um just basically some other men young men and women in my gaming group um we had we had made those contributions there were a few over the transom submissions um that we got from the outside both art and writing by that point but we just basically typed things up on typewriters um our typesetting was all done on a uh smith corona with a a uh, carbon ribbon. <laughs> Woohoo! Hey, hey those, were, those were great machines. They yeah. were. Um, you know, it was it was one of the guys had one of those with the insertable ribbon changes, so that gave us a really high crisp or high quality crisp printout. Um, I also snuck into the print office of the campus and did some types late night typesetting in there. <laughs> Use a ditto machine. No. Well, excuse me. Um, I may have actually submitted some stuff to Apazines on Ditto and uh, Mimeograph Sheets. Well, Janelle, you're but talking not- about you got some articles from the outside, but some of those pieces, the reason I own the reprint of the first six issues is because Jim Ward has got some Metamorphosis Alpha stuff in those first Dungeoneers. He does. I mean, Jim maybe, Ward. Maybe he was just this dude at the time. <laughs> Jim Ward was my first subscriber. Wow. That's awesome. He cool. was subscriber number one. Huh. Um, and I can't remember if I had met him by that point, but I met him a few months later at a Gen Con. So, um, And at that time, I think he was just like the school teacher in Wisconsin. <laughs> <laughs> they are, uh, Goodman Games is doing a deluxe Metamorphosis Alpha reprint Kickstarter right now, and they besides being a tabloid-sized hardback with the original rules and that they're going back and getting all those old Dragon and Dungeoneer articles and sticking them in there. So oh my. something you did in college is still living on in a, in a way. It's, I am still surprised by all that. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, did, would you have imagined 30-something years later that... It's pretty cool. It's, it's been 35 years since I did Dark Tower. And for Judges Guild. And it just amazes me that not only is it still in print, but people are still playing it. <laughs> yeah. That and Caverns of Thracia are probably two of the most well-known Judges Guilds, and well, you did both of them. Yeah. And at, at NTRPG, and the con, the Texas con a couple of years back, um, the guy who had the table next to mine was running Fachalrak's Tomb, my first adventure, published adventure ever, at the <laughs> table next to mine. <laughs> Did Fadek post? Oh, my goodness. I was going back and look. Well, it's, ju- it's, ju- was... it's jumping ahead, but uh, I just freshened myself up on Caverns of Thracia because I hadn't read it in decades. And there is so much in what you were writing there that anticipates the state of the OSR now, like the Dungeon Crawl Classics RPG system uh-huh. is a conscious callback not specifically to your work, but to those days and that flavor. Right. And, uh-huh. and even the, the sort of way you would break into more casual uh, author's voice, like, yet a, yes, that's right, yet another, you know, vaulted <laughs> thing. Uh, there are people doing that today. 
I did, mm. my, not just the idea of let's do a published adventure, but even the way you were doing it was, I don't know if it's precedent setting or prophetic or what, but it was just cool to go back and read that because you could still play it today. Yeah. Yep. And say, that was just, that was just the way I wrote. And that's all I can say. <laughs> well, and speaking of caverns, there. who wants to take up the caverns of Thracia? Uh, I will. Um, go ahead. Although here's an, you know, you started off with the dungeoneer. Um, uh-huh. Did judge? Were you involved with Judges Guild at all when you started dungeoneer? Did they tap you because they saw your work in the dun- in the dungeoneer? Well, the story the story behind that was is I was one of the early subscribers of the guild, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. guild master Wars stuff. Um, guy, the man who bought my magazine, Chuck Anshell, in the fall of 1978, he had put out two issues already. He went to go work at, um, Judges Guild, essentially as their magazine editor and typesetter. Mm-hmm. Because he had typesetting equipment. <laughs> <laughs> Very important. <laughs> a, I think I think he had an I, one of those um, IBM Selectric Ball machines, but it did typesetting. Lord knows they and, needed that. <laughs> yeah, and so he took that down to um, to Decatur, um, Decatur, Illinois, and then around that time, this is. I was I had graduated from college. I had already lost my first job as a graphic designer. <laughs> um, well, there's there's this long there's a long, short boring story about that. But um, basically, I'd been working as a graphic designer. The print shop I was working for lost all their foot traffic due the due to the road in front of them being closed, and so I got cut. And so I was unemployed and doing freelance. And uh, Chuck said, "Hey." Judges Guild is interested, you know, I'm down here at Judges Guild, and they're interested in your work. So I packed up a carload of stuff to take down, art and writing samples, and drove down from, uh, I was in southern Michigan at that time. It was about an eight to ten hour drive. Drove down there in one shot, interviewed, they hired me. I told them, fine, but as long as I don't have to live in Decatur. <laughs> <laughs> And we kind of worked that out. Then I went back to Michigan and started working for Judges Guild. Cool. Yeah. So when you did Caverns of Thracia, um, uh-huh. did you have the idea of you know what we tend to refer to as dungeon ecology nowadays before you started writing the adventure, or did it just kind of work into the product? You know, without having specifically decided, hey, I want to do this. It really, um, it really just kind of was a work of whatever seemed right at the moment. Mm-hmm. I didn't. I don't even. I don't think that with Caverns of Thracia that I really even had a overarching story in mind when I started it. Um, I had some ideas for um, the type of characters involved, the Beast Men, because this was a. Orig- Caverns of Thracia originally started out as an AD&D product. Um, those are, that was the rule set I was writing against. But we got into it a ways. You know, either it was that we got into it a ways or 
um, when ju- they gave a preliminary view of a t- TSR, and they just said, you know, we don't want it. We don't want you doing this for AD and D. So they shifted it over to D and D, which freed me up a little bit more. But it also removed access to some of the AD and D creatures. Ah. Which is why the jackal-like creature in the game is, uh, I think it's called a dog brother that I had to make up stats for. Uh-huh. It was originally supposed to be a jackalware. Oh, okay, yeah. Mm-hmm. Do you remember what they said? And, why and the Incarnation of Death was this, uh, originally Dave Arneson or something? <laughs> <laughs> Probably not. I don't think so. <laughs> Do you remember why they said it couldn't be in AD&D? No, I really don't. Okay. Um, I was I did I was not in on a lot of the conversations between Judges Guild and the people handling the products at TSR. So mm-hmm. basically, you were just told we have to change it, change right. it. Yeah, right. Mm-hmm. I mean, for even with the first pro- even with the first product I did for um, for for Judges Guild um, Dark Tower. There was one conversation with Gary Gygax at a con- Michigan convention over what I was doing wrong in it. Oh, fun. <laughs> and it's basically I was applying my own house rules to aspects of AD&D. And AD&D at that time was intended to be this standardized rule set so that at conventions, everybody was playing the same game. Right. Yeah. Right. As a rea- as a reaction to how everybody out. had been hot dogging it for four or five years. Exactly. Which, in a sense, made it easier to write for um, the D and D rules because you could be a little more wahoo in them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, for conventions, you need kind of a standard rule set, I guess, if you're going to do tournaments and things like that. Yeah, and well, tournaments do it for like big. yeah, like war game tournaments. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's interesting to see how both authors in the uh, in the game industry and players go through stages of because as a young man I was all about the AD&D there's a rule for everything now as as a 50 something I enjoy the more the wahoo and things being left up to the judge. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. And Gary kind of went the other way it looks like to me from the outside. Well, I think what it was is um I don't know if Jim or Glenn, if you were in the um, convention circuit, doing any of the convention circuits at the time. No, I wasn't. The um, In the late 70s, there really were these overarching convention tournaments where someone would design a tournament, the tournament for a big convention. And the players would all come in, they'd form into groups, and they'd play their way through the tournament until there was one team that was the victor. Yeah, you know, that, that you know every there was there was um, different episodes every day, and at the end of it, one team was the best scoring team, and they were the winners of the tournament. I did that once with uh, Gen Con, like 1977, wow. and there was a product called I think it was called Scrap Faggot and Skull Bones or something. Oh yes, of skulls and Scrap Faggot Green. Yes, I played in that tournament at Gen Con. And for our younger listeners, when you say Gen Con in the 70s, you're talking about when it was in Lake Geneva, Wisconsin. In Lake Geneva at the Agricultural Hall. Geneva oh, Con. It had yes. not moved to Milwaukee at that time. It had not yet. Um, okay. In fact, you were talking about being at Gary Gygax's house in his basement. 
one of the time, the one time I think we were at the con, we ran into somebody who was staying with the Gygaxes. He was a family friend. And even though there was no one at the house, he invited us in and we sat in the living room and chatted for a while. <laughs> oh, sweet. I was just in that room a week ago. <laughs> Yeah, I remember in early 80 and 81, I played in a couple of tournaments in Atlanta and at Biloxi, and both time I got smashed in the first rounds. And then Liz and I sound up for one, a retro one back in 02, 03. Mm-hmm. I don't remember exactly, up in Milwaukee. Yeah, and was I was when telling. They were doing the Milwaukee Game Fest. And I was yeah. telling Liz about how the tournaments worked and, you know, don't worry about it. We're, we're not going to get very far because this is really intense. And we ended up winning. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. When Jim, when you were talking about how you and Mike Curtis were deliberately trying to get yourselves killed so you could leave, that's kind of how Mike and I were feeling, you know, because we had signed up for the, the tournament thinking, you know, yeah, we're probably not going to make it through the entire weekend. And our team kept doing the best. So oh. we we kept having to go back. We were pretty much committed for the whole weekend, and we had only expected to be doing the tournament game for one day. Yeah, right. three <laughs> rounds. Three. And so we were not expecting to go all the way through the weekend playing in this tournament game, and that's what we wound up doing. <laughs> it's like committing three days to it. Uh-huh. Yeah. And we were and, sure we'd be out by, you know, the end of Friday. It's like, yeah, we'll have Saturday and Sunday to do other stuff. No. <laughs> and on the one hand, it's nice to be on the winning team. But on the other, it's like we just spent three days. <laughs> yeah, we had that sort of experience. Um, it was my brother and a friend of mine. We drove over from Michigan and we got into the tournament and... We actually had to put together a team in the line while while waiting to register for the tournament. We, you know, there were just a few other random people there, and we put together our team. And I think we did make it through to the finals, but we didn't win. Mm-hmm. Mm. Um, but that was um, we were staying in a tent out at uh, Bigfoot National Park, and oh. by the third day, we were we were pretty gamey. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, Mike and I used to do a lot of camping with medieval reenactment, and by the end of the weekend, you are thinking, oh, I would kill for a shower. I would kill a stranger. You're starting to smell pretty authentic by then. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to tell a, bo- yeah, like the, tell a like bad story on gamer. Rob. I'm going to tell a bad story on Rob Coons, who was my roommate at GaryCon. The dude sleeps like a vampire. And so for three days in a row, <laughs> I know his schedule, and I'm kind of like his, his fail-safe alarm. So like half an hour before his, he's scheduled to run something, I'm shoving the guy going, Rob, Rob, you got something to run. Get up. And that dude just jumped into his jeans and shoes and sport coat and bang, out the door. So I had to shower to myself for like three days. <laughs> you had Rob Coons as a roommate? Oh, How twice now. Get- He's the best how did you how do you how do you get any sleep? Oh, we're on completely different schedules. Oh, okay. He's he's the best roommate I've ever had at a con. Okay, cool. Well, I'm I've talked to him and 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 talked to him at the convention, and it's like, when do you have time to sleep? You're always talking. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't mean to go off on a tear though. Back to no, Caverns of Thracia, which was sorry. obviously not a, a tournament module because it's so deep and complex. You could get like a year's worth of campaign out of that place, which is not yeah. something I realized at the time. In fact, I was looking, reading through it, and I think I said. 
there was something in the forward or, or the, the beginning of it says, well, this is probably not going to be playable in one or two sessions. <laughs> <laughs> really? It's in there somewhere. I, I, I noticed it when I was reading through it recently. So yeah, almost in, a setting. So in your opinion, what do you think is the best part of Caverns of Thracia? Um, the parts that I remember the most that were mo- more about what I remembered literally were the upper caverns. Um, because that was kind of what inspired me on this, was the idea of multi-level caverns where you cross back and forth through them several times on rope bridges. Mm-hmm. And so for me, that was kind of this this neat idea of um, just the mapping, the 3D mapping. And in okay. fact, that's that's what a lot of a lot of caverns of Thracia was for me was solving a lot of the 3D mapping issues. Okay. Do you feel that gave you a a leg up when you? I mean, this has we're we're going away from caverns of Thracia for a moment, but just something you just said. Do you feel that gave you a leg up when you transferred over to doing computer games? But so oh. much of it is three dimensional, and a lot of people who go from 2D to 3D. You have to rewire your brain to make it work differently. Actually, it, it, it did. Mm-hmm. Um, if anything, even the 3D game levels I made were probably more complex than were appropriate. <laughs> <laughs> I, I could totally see you in your ID software interview going, here's Caverns of Thracia. I can do this. <laughs> well, they, they already knew me. That, that's why I was even down there for an interview, was that they knew me from that background. Uh-huh. So they knew they knew I could they knew I could create and think in terms of game spaces. Nice. And then I and then on that interview I actually proved that I could actually use their tool to make something in a week. So yeah. <laughs> yeah. You had me as soon as you wrote a dungeon where the god of death is just wandering the halls looking for anybody with three hit points going, Come with me. You had me right there. <laughs> <laughs> I don't I like that. You know, I don't even remember how I included that character in there. I'm still looking forward to reading it. We're close enough to the same generation. As soon as I saw that you were calling the death god Thanatos, I'm like, I wonder if Janelle was reading Iron Man comics in the 70s. Or Avengers. (sighs) I'm trying to remember what I was reading. Um, I was doing comics, though, so possibly. Which is interesting because... um, I picked up on the name of this character and eventually became one of the gods in RuneQuest. Ooh. There you go. Cool. We probably should have mentioned up front, Janelle, that part of the grilling of the interview guest is going to be like fanboy worship of your work. <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, afraid so. That's part of the grilling process here. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I'm kind of used to that. <laughs> oh, we well, can get all Gordon Ramsay on you if you want. <laughs> <laughs> well, Glenn can anyway. So, looking back over caverns, um, what do you think now? Um, you know, as you reread it, it's like, what would you consider the the worst bit? Where you know something oh, that you read over and think you're thinking now, man, I would have done that differently if I was writing this now. You know. <laughs> well, looking looking at the underground city map, mm-hmm. I probably would have actually done that a little more organically. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I, looking back at the art, the way I remember—I'm trying to remember if I actually hand drew all those trees, 
Or if I had um, photostats of one or two trees. Uh-huh. <laughs> I, I go back to these days of burnishers and waxers and stuff, and I'm looking at your map, and, I'm, and I, I, can, I can see the line where you reach the edge of some zip-tone screen. Exactly. Uh, which I love. Hey, well, this- I, I used zip-tone a lot when I was doing fanzine art. You know, for backgrounds oh. and stuff, you know, oh, heck yeah. love that stuff. <laughs> I mean, I don't even know how you explain that to people anymore. Mm-hmm. What, you just don't don't lay down a gray tone? Yeah. Oh, right, right, right. <laughs> no, you just click fill. You're done. <laughs> well, what are, what yeah, are these kids on? today? <laughs> so, um, yeah, looking at, looking at some of the things is actually, yes, there is something I would probably do different. I would totally do the... The entry area and the outside part a little more robustly. Mm-hmm. Um, that was almost a t- you know it was it really almost focused too much on the underground and not enough about the environment about. Um, I mean, besides the I mean, Liz talked about there's a sort of a working ecology, but I saw it more as like a, a a tiered level of cultures with a good mythological underpinning. You obviously uh, studied mytho. Mythology, God, now I can't talk (laughs) in in college. But uh, I mean, in amongst all the callbacks to like Cretan and uh, Macedonian uh, mythology, you've got Uh you've got gnolls. Kudos for using gnolls. I think gnolls are Uh the most underused creatures in the whole D and D system. Well, the gnolls fit into, and again, if you look at the cover, the original cover, you've got the the dog, the dog brother. The Minotaur, the Lizard Man, and the Knoll. I was actually going for a theme of beast bipeds, right? And trying to use um, canonical creatures, not just not make things up. Because you know, I could have made up a lot of things if I wanted to, but um, using canon mm-hmm. to, to create um, beastmen. It was a beastmen adventure. And not the eight thousand thieves of orcs, for example. Exactly. <laughs> orcs, you know, everybody used orcs. I mean, they were the they were the pop orcs, kobolds, goblins, hobgoblins. You know, they were the popular cannon fodder of the seventies. I didn't realize it started out as an AD and D module. If it had remained AD and D, would Yinigu have been down in the bottom somewhere? I don't know. Probably not. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, I know one of the things that. We were going to ask, and I think you've already touched on this a bit earlier, uh-huh. was, you know, did you prefer writing AD&D or D&D adventures? And it kind of sounds like you preferred the D&D because you had more free reign to, you know, do your own thing. But um, Well, the interesting thing is that by this point, I was actually running and playing RuneQuest adventures primarily. <laughs> so... <laughs> I wasn't even. I was playing Dungeons and Dragons. We uh-huh. had we had part of this was after college, so we still had a group, and there were several. There were a couple of um, game masters running Dungeons and Dragons, so it's still playing. So that was staying fresh. But by that point, it was running RuneQuest. Um, pre- my preference really probably would lean towards D and D, and it's simply because. I could be freer. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I remember the D&D at this point for, you know, for the, the younger audience <laughs> <laughs> was the white box. Mm-hmm. Original, yeah. The original white box. 
Yeah, when I first when I first got into the hobby, I started off with the Holmes Basic box set, mm-hmm. and the game store that I bought the box from had a few of the um, Brown Book supplements that you could buy singly, and so I was working with the Holmes Basic box. And I also had the Gods, Demigods, and Heroes. Uh-huh. And I had the Greyhawk book. And that was that was my set to start with, was that box and those two supplement books. Mm-hmm. So Well, to well, a large degree, Holmes was just original clarified. Mm-hmm. And right. only for third level. Yeah. Well, you, you make an excellent point, Janelle, because it's, it's something that I uh, proselytize to younger players today that are all tangled up in, like, Pathfinder and 4E, and they're kind of looking, they, they see the OSR stuff, and they maybe want to give it a try, but they look at the rules and just go, well, there's no rules for anything, and I, it's important for me to get them to understand that that's more empowering to your character, not less. Yeah. Right. Well, it can be scary to start with. Because you feel like you don't know enough to make those calls. Mm-hmm. Um, I think once, as you keep going and you get more comfortable, then it becomes easier to try to do things on the fly. Well, right. And it's hard to break. Uh, pe- I mean, people just come up in the system they come up in. And it's hard to break from that habit of, I need to decide what my character is going to do. I'm going to stare at all this stuff on my character sheet. I mean, when it was all just on an index card, there wasn't any staring at that. You just decided what you would do. Yeah, right. there was some. Um, That's right. Yeah, the most complex thing at the time was a thief trying to remember all um, her, uh, her her pickpocketing and moving move silently, or you know, all those those type of skills. Um, there were no complex skill sets. There were um, you if you were a mage play, just starting, you remembered one spell. <laughs> <laughs> I threw I'm going sleep. To I'm done. <laughs> I'm done. We're out of here. <laughs> I'll be at the back now. <laughs> with the ten foot pole. <laughs> I remember those days. Uh, first level mage with an enlarged spell. That's how I started. Uh, uh. Or ventriloquism. Yeah. Ooh. My my first character was a first level magic user. Um, she did not make it out of her first dungeon. Oh. <laughs> <sighs> the the story of far too many first characters. Yep. If you roll low for your hit points, you know, because you only get four max, and you know, yeah, it's like I rolled a two. It's like no, <laughs> I sneezed. Oh darn, I'm dead. <laughs> yeah, you, you roll one or two hit points. I feel like the character in Ghosts and Goblins two hits and you're gone. Mm-hmm. If you're lucky. Yeah. If you're lucky. If you're lucky. <laughs> Maybe if you're fighting a very small rat. <laughs> well, I, I'm dead serious about this because I ran a character funnel at Gary Khan, and there were uh, plenty of the level zeros who were walking around with one hit point. And we had a show of hands at the end of the adventure. Okay, who survived this entire adventure with one hit point? And there were like four <laughs> hands shot up. <laughs> Intelligent play. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, Glenn, do you want to bring up Unknown Gods? Yeah, just for a little bit. This is probably one of my favorite books in the Judges Guild line. Um, I understand. Well, well, let me let me ask you how did this how did this come about? All right. Um, Unknown Gods is 
Bob Bledsaw's product. Okay. It is his product. Um, it was one of the first projects that was assigned to me uh, after going to the first, um, yeah, the, one of the first projects I worked on once I went to uh, the Judges Guild. And the cover, I think I may have done the cover fairly early on. Um, for me, the cover was an exploration of trying to do some interesting things with oh, a <laughs> cut you know, two code, three color printing. Mm -hmm. And I think the version I've got in my hand that I'm looking at is not an original version. I think it's a later print. I had two jobs in it. One was to illustrate it. The other was to edit Bob's copy and right. to put it, and to put it in a printable format. Uh -huh. um, add content, edit content, you know, basically be the project editor. Right, and that's pretty much what I did. There's a couple of the gods I think near the end that are mine. Okay, but most of it's Bob's work. And as far as the illustrations go, uh huh. You know, if I wanted to hand, if somebody asked me who's Janelle Jacquez and you wanted to show them artwork, I would show them this book. Oh my because god! It's kind of, it's, well, <laughs> to me, it's kind of a shorthand. For all, all the stuff you do, because it's 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 wonderful. Um, it's it's literally every just about every piece that I did in here has a different style. Right, and I think you're the artist that signed it because there's another artist on here that didn't sign it. Um, let's see, the other artist is Cheryl England. Cheryl England, I think she was a friend of the the company. I never met her, but. Um, I took a number of her pieces, and I um, I know I cleaned a few of them up for inclusion. Okay, um, my my favorite one is Dorak that got a piece, and I think you did the the illustration for that. Probably, uh, yeah. Uh, a guy who a god who creates peace by smashing everybody is just <laughs> my kind of oxymoron god. Oh, there he is, the big guy. With yeah, the, drawn Looked from like Teddy Roosevelt. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I, I just imagine this like hundred foot tall Gumby going stop fighting, fighting. <laughs> we well, have to understand at this point I had I would have had no idea who Monty Python was. Right. But it just, <laughs> oh wow! It just, it came well, actually, maybe I did actually because this was a bit later. Now okay. I can understand why you did because it's for basic D and D, and at the time, I, basic D and D really didn't have any kind of pantheon or gods or anything. I mean, you've got a cleric in the game. Well, who does he worship? Uh... Well, to be honest, de deities, demigods, and typos was out at this point. <laughs> <laughs> <Ow>. <laughs> I, I can't argue against that. <laughs> I think that falls under cruelly, cruelly true. <laughs> What's the mini onions of set? <laughs> Is exactly the way I'd run it. <laughs> well, hey, it's all, those are evil. Oh, even OD&D had percent liar. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, this was this was an alternative to the deities in um, you know the classic mythological deities that were in gods, demigods, and heroes, right. and they they kind of they kind of really kind of represent that cross section of. Fantasy deities that that players would make up. 
Oh yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. I see that. Uh, have you seen Have you seen uh, the Petty Gods? I am the only thing I'm aware of it. Um, I was originally contacted to write either an introduction or a forward to it. That uh-huh. was several. That was several years ago, and I did that. I haven't seen it since. Yeah, um, I contributed some artwork to it, and it came out as they were going to do Petty Gods and Deluxe Petty Gods, which never got off the ground. Right. Uh, it's out there. Um, had my, my hard drive not crashed, I would have given you a copy. Oh. But uh, yeah. It was kind of like it was done in the, trying to do it in the spirit of the unknown gods. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was that's how it had been explained to me. And um, again, I think I, I wrote a piece, an intro, or, or uh, some kind of reminiscent for reminiscence for it. Mm, okay, okay, um, that's all I got, guys. Okay, <laughs> we'll talk about more well, generic you. stuff. Uh huh. Regarding Judges Guild, uh, notice you had done some both Rune Quest and Dragon Quest. Um, did I do Dragon Quest for? Well, not for Judges Guild. Uh, I, yeah, I think that was for TSR. Come to think of it, actually, the Dragon Quest, my first Dragon Quest, was for SPI. Ah, before actually, while they were still independent. while they were while they were still an independent. I actually have it here in front of me. Okay. Um, what drew you to those systems? Was it just you know looking for work or? I was contacted. Uh, well, for RuneQuest, it's because I liked it. We had seen, we had, um, my, my friends and I had attended Origins 78. It was in Ann Arbor, Michigan that summer. Mm-hmm. And that summer, um, I met a lot, of the, a lot of people in the game industry because it was a local con for me, um, an hour drive away. And RuneQuest had just come out at that point and we my my friend and i we and my brother we all picked up copies of the rules and we were just this was really the kind of gameplay and especially the setting the bronze age setting really appealed to us Mm -hmm. so we that became our playing game of choice and because I, i went to work for judges guild that fall Judges Guild, I think, had developed a relationship with Chaosium to do licensed product. They used they called it Gateway Product, and I did some projects um, for them: the uh, Hell Pits of Nightfang, um, Duck Tower. I was going to say Duck Tower. It must be Duck Tower, Legendary Duck Tower, and other tales. Um, <laughs> and then I did some contributions to the Dungeoneer, um, both rules and um, art content. So I did those almost out of love. That's the best way to put it. Okay. The Enchanted Wood was because I was contacted by SPI, and they wanted to know if I'd be interested in writing a game adventure for them. And now here's the, here's the, um, the truth about Dragon Quest at that time. I never played it. I won't tell. Mum's the word. <laughs> well, I actually mentioned that at a convention the year it came out, and uh, the producer in charge of the product about flipped out on me. <laughs> <laughs> Things not to say on the first date. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. But you know, within the year, they were toast anyway. So, yeah, I was. I, I've met. I don't know that I've ever actually met anyone who really played it. I know a few people who have played it and they've actually feel very strongly about it. It's still one of their favorite systems. 
but um, I saw it as kind of cumbersome. So it's one of those you either yeah. love it or you hate it. <clears throat> right. Well, it's e- it's easier to play than Universe, so. Probably better than Tunnels and Trolls, though, right? Uh, excuse me. <laughs> <laughs> gotcha. <laughs> it's more. Ro- it. it um, <laughs> I'm sorry. That was at a the shot time, plan. Was, I wasn't serious. I understand. I was gonna say at the time it was more robust than Tunnels and Trolls. <laughs> the reason it, the reason it was easy to write for was because the system, the the way the systems ran, it was very close to RuneQuest. It was a D100 system. Okay. And a lot and a lot of um a lot of what I could design. I could think in terms of designing and balancing for RuneQuest. It was fairly easy to transfer that over into Dragon Quest. Okay. okay. I'm dying to ask you about the first piece of your artwork I was ever exposed to. Um, Uh-oh. This doesn't have anything to do with uh, Judges Guild. Uh, I was fortunate in college, although I didn't start playing till 79. Uh, our DM had been playing from the Little Brown Books on, and he had a big fat stack of Dragon magazines that he lent me okay. forever. So I uh remember uh taking note of your art and uh the cover of dragon 21 uh-huh where like you were saying you like the bronze age a couple of bronze age viking looking dudes duking it yep. out with some white dragon yep although one of them was a girl so i probably didn't do a good job drawing her <laughs> well I, I don't i don't own that so i haven't seen it since 1979 or 80 yeah that was my first cover that i did for dungeon or dragon Mm-hmm. Um, it would be a very long time before I would do another one. Um, hmm. It was a personal piece I had done in college. It was done in colored inks, of mm. all things, and uh, gouache. Mm. Um, and a friend of mine still owns it. Wow. Well, you know how you Excellent. just imprint on those things? Uh, that was one I imprinted on back in the day. Ah, uh, okay. Okay. Well, speaking of other game systems, or at least uh, neutral systems, uh you were involved on several of the city books from Flying Buffalo. Oh, yeah. That was um, a project I picked up in the late 80s. Okay. Um, did they approach you on that? I got involved in it at first as a writer on, like, it was 1986, I think. I was freelancing again um, after working in video games a number of years. And I was friends with Mike Stackpole and Liz Danforth at that time. And they approached me to write an article for City Book 3, which was all about uh, dark things, um, kind of the, the scungy side of town. Right. Mm-hmm. And I wrote a uh, one establishment called Dom Daniel's Gate for that, which was basically a munging of Doctor Who and the devil. And the devil. Well, you've got my vote right there. <laughs> this episode's obligatory Doctor Who reference brought to you by Janelle Jakeways. Yes. <laughs> there's a time traveler in the in this in this um inn whose time machine basically crashed uh tumbling across time and he's kind of living in this living in the present to accumulate the pieces as they appear in the neighborhood. Over okay. time. Ah, so he can reassemble it. Yeah. But okay. in the crash, um, it hit us. The, the, the crash basically hit the owner of this establishment who was an incarnation of Satan or the devil or, an, mm-hmm. or, a, or a powerful demon, however you want to play that. And in the 
And there's this fireplace that is literally a, a gateway to hell. So you've got the, you don't have any real story going on. You just have these this you have this time traveler who kind of presents as being out of time there. And you have this kind of and he's now the innkeeper. And you have this guy in the inn who's kind of like brain damaged because he was injured in the crash of the time machine. But that's the incarnation of the demon or devil. Mm. <laughs> add and player so characters and you've got an adventure. Add player characters and you have adventure. <laughs> yeah. Nice. But that's what I, I did that for them. I think it was 1986. And then about a year or so later, they approached um, Jim Lewis. Um, Rick Loomis approached me and asked me if I'd be interested in taking over the production on City Book 4. They they had accumulated some of the articles already. They mm-hmm. just they needed someone to package the book. And at this time I was already involved in packaging the central for starting work on the central casting products. Okay. So I was doing pre-press um with like page page maker at the time. Oh, page maker. Uh, Adobe InDesign for those who are more modern. Um, <laughs> I was weaned on page maker. Um, so I actually had been starting production and Rick had, I think caught wind of that from um, the publisher I was working with for a uh, city book and, or the, um, the central casting line and asked me if I was interested in picking up city book. And I was, and that's how I got started doing the city book line, um, basically as a book packager. Mm-hmm. Nice, nice. Now you bring up Central Casting, which mm. is probably one of my favorite series of books. Huh? That my, uh, it's a favorite. My favorite series of books my DM won't let me use. That's because, an interesting question. Why is that? <laughs> well, because I te- it tends to come up with stuff I want to incorporate, and he said, "No, that's too powerful." Well, yeah, there is that. <laughs> yeah. Well, last time I did it and I said, well, he did this and he gets this and he gets that. He says, no, he doesn't. Well, how about he thinks he does? <laughs> he says, okay, I can live with that. <laughs> so, yeah, he's, he's, yeah, he's the second son of the Baron. Wink, wink. Yeah. Well, those that, are really, those are really iffy roles. I mean, that you got to be rolling well to get those. Oh, yeah. yeah? Yeah, um, I was rolling insane, man. Um, and there was some kind of scuff up with those books at the time, I seem to remember. There was. I, I tend to, every time I try to explain it to somebody, I tend to totally botch it. If you don't want to talk about it, that's fine. But, I mean, I just wanted to bring that up real quick. Well, basically, I guess the way I can phrase it is a much younger Janelle was a lot more conservative than she is today. Okay. Um, and there is some content in those books that could be considered offensive to some people because of that. Because it expressed my views, my political views, my social views at the time, um, which I no longer agree with anymore. Um, some people found objectionable. Ah, got it. That happens to the best of us. Yeah, and some people <laughs> thought, some people thought, yeah, right. But I don't agree with those people anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to give you any objection to it. <laughs> Certainly. But, uh, hey, it's all well and good to me. It's been a number of miles behind me since those days. <laughs> how did that? How, 
how did that come up? The, the central casting books. How did that? How did that idea come about? Okay, I mean, this. Okay, this one has a long history. A little bit, not quite a Shaggy Dog story. Okay. Um, when I was in college, so we're gonna <clears throat> for the the first central casting. I'm sitting here looking at it in my lap. Was what 1988? Yeah. 1980. Yeah, 1988. Go back easily eleven years. I was in college, 11, okay. maybe 12 years. And in one of the early Dunge Dragon magazines, it might have been as early as issue four, somebody had printed, written up some background tables, really, really simple ones um, for giving your character like, you know, you were a peasant, for basically giving your your character stuff based on his or her background. And I thought, I can do better than that. So I started putting together some of my ideas. And I, over a couple of years, I had written out a number of small tables, maybe 10 or 20 small tables that allowed you to walk through and create a character background. And I actually did this. It got the attention of some people at the college I was going to, uh-huh. and it became a part of one of my school writing projects. Oh. It actually, because I did that, I actually got an award at graduation for my involvement in um, working across the arts, um, oh. you know, theater, art, writing. So I actually got an award for it. Um, you got a grade and an award. And award. For, I have this for I have, gaming stuff. <laughs> for game. Hey, when I was doing the Dungeoneer, I was also taking graphic printmaking and graphics courses during uh-huh. the summer. Right. I got credit for that too. <laughs> this is what I'm, I'm telling the twenty somethings at my table all the time. They they say old school. I'm like, yeah, but back then it was just school. <laughs> Yeah, well, seats with envy. Oh, I know. <laughs> yeah, well, um, now I'll also note that I was actually attending a very conservative uh, Christian college at the time. So this was actually before uh, Dungeons and Dragons became equated with demon worship. Ah, <laughs> uh, okay. Okay. So I was working on that. Um, not long after I went to work for Judges Guild, I actually submitted that very rough version. Um, I think I sent it to Chuck Anshell, so it actually went to the original Dungeoneer um, after I graduated, and it got published in one of the very early um, Dragon ma- or Dungeon magazines, uh, the ones that Judges Guild produced. Okay, so it's going to be in the magazine, not in the collection. Okay, but in the um, the in the collection in the collected edition, there's going to be a little section on idiosyncrasies. Uh, that's right. You're redoing those, Ooh. and I and that appeared in in um, Central Casting. Oh, okay. That actually ended up in the, in in as part of Central Casting. So, flash forward. Um, I'm home. I'm I'm working for Coleco at the time in the early '80s, and as a hobby, I picked up working on this again, not intending to do anything with it. Just I started making a more in-depth character background creator. Okay. And then by the time I was freelancing again uh, around 86, I started putting some more time into it. And I approached um, 
was talking, was going around trying to find a publisher for it, and Task Force Games um, kind of popped up around that time. They were interested in it. They signed me to a contract, and I produced. The, I fin- I went and finished developing the book, the first book, published it, did all the the pre press, all the art for it um, to do it because it was such a low budget project for me. I ended up snagging artwork from all all sorts of sources. So most of that artwork in there is material that had appeared in game magazines or newspaper uh, <laughs> illustrations that I had done. And I was looking through the book going, wow, she's versatile. Well, I had a lot of styles at that point. Um, mostly the stuff that's done with like a stipple or dot pattern, that was done for that project. Oh, okay. Um, there's a couple of pieces in there that were actually done for a number of pieces that were done for the project early. And that was and that was like the first of its kind in those kind of books. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, creative collecting. Yes. Janelle, this is exactly why when somebody reads something I've written or is looking at one of my paintings and asks that question, "How long did it take you?" My answer is always about fifty years. Yeah, well, it's, like, <laughs> it's like in billing, you know. People look at you and say, well, how can you charge that much? It's much. You know, it's just for an hour's worth of work. And I said, well, it's an hour's worth of work, but 30 years worth of training to do that hour's worth of work. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so um, the last thing I did on the project was the cover, and I literally painted that overnight. Wow. I was not, it's not my best piece of work. Old an all-nighter, huh? Yep. I think it's great. Yeah. All right. Not the, I don't know. What version are you looking at? Have you been looking at, Glenn? The first or second edition? Uh, let me pull it off the shelf. And I'll Let's see. You. Is it thin and blue or thick and kind of gold colored? Uh, wait a minute. I'm yanking a headset out of my head right now. <laughs> <laughs> I'll leave the ears. Oh, okay. It's uh, thinnish and bluish. That's, that would be a first edition then. Oh, wow. Or first or first publication. I don't know. Honey, get the tape. It's falling apart. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and, so mine's not in much better shape. And I also had you sign it, too, which is nice. Oh, Yeah. Cool. All right. Well, we appreciate you coming on the show. Thanks. Well, you're welcome. Thank you so much. Yes. yes. Thank you. I only just got to meet you in person this past year, so I was thrilled to have you on. Well, if you're going to be at um, and the, the Texas Con again, North Texas, we just got the plane tickets to go so cool cool i'm working Uh, on it but i'll be there there. i'll be there um (laughs) oh and my wife says hi by the way she talked to you in 2011 and she had a really nice good conversation yeah that was a long time ago (laughs) yeah like uh let's call it a lifetime away okay (laughs) i'm sure she'll feel good about that (laughs) (laughs) all right well We will go out for the show as we usually do, each of us describing how we're heading down the dusty road because we play the uh, old 70s Incredible Hulk theme at the end with Bill Bixby walking down the dusty road. I got to look for like a disco version of that. (laughs) Yeah, or something. But anyway, how are you walking down this road, Glenn? Well, I just got picked up by Dakar, the god of peace. He puts me on his shoulder, and I just watch him smash people with his three-headed uh, flail, trying to get them to stop fighting. Better than getting picked up by the dove god. That's true. <laughs> Jim? Oh, dude, I'm I'm sitting in that tavern with that time lord, and we're chucking our empties into the fireplace so they land in hell. <laughs> <laughs> Nuts. <laughs> And Liz? 
Well, speaking of the death god, um, he found out I only had three hit points, and so I'm kind of being dragged along behind him. I'm not sure where we're going, but... <laughs> well, I'm busy talking with the Beastmen on our way down the road about Minoan and Greek mythology. Sounds like mm-hmm. speed. And all these paths brought to us by Janelle Jackways. Oh, thank, thank you very you. much for coming on the show. Thank you. You're welcome. Yay. Thank you. It's been fun. <clears throat> we enjoyed having you on the show and look forward to seeing you at North Texas Con. That's right. We'll be there. In two months. These shows are fun. <laughs> anyway. Oh, my God. Well, I have to write my adventure yet for um, that show. So, yeah. <laughs> I am hardly see, wait to see what you get. I can hardly I'm, wait to see what you got set up for TNT. On the other hand, um, I did turn in the logo about uh, three weeks ago. So, we're good there. <laughs> oh, cool. All right. Well, say good night, everybody. Good night, everybody. See ya. Good night. Briarch. <laughs> of Wild Games Productions in association with D20Radio.com. The Save or Die theme music is provided by the band Mississippi Bones. You can find them at mississippibones.bandcamp.com. The Incredible Hulk Lonely Man theme disco version was brought to you by the 1970s. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time on Save or Die.